Well, hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Ezra Lip Hour, more or less. My favorite number, episode 11. Today, we have the amazing Cal Mia Traver. Who I am as a young woman making creative music that's not the norm. That's a pretty awesome shape to have exist in the world, and I'm feeling like just by kind of buying into myself in that way uh, to entrusting my own instincts that's that's a form of resistance now more of cal in a minute uh but i will say i'm very very excited about this episode but just a, a few items of house cleaning um thanks so much for tuning in again I'm just gonna try to speed through this but you know the old the old usual stuff I love all your feedback. Keep them coming. I love all the people that have been leaving reviews and ratings on iTunes. It really helps get the podcast out. So if you haven't done that already, but have been thinking about doing it, just just do it. Just hit pause right now. Go do it. Take two two minutes, and it'll it'll help a lot. Help people find the show, and uh, just make everything go smoother for the future. And also, you can go to my website. Sign up for the mailing list, which I send out periodic emails telling you right now, telling you about a bunch of stuff, my upcoming gigs, the new podcast episode stuff with Magic in the Other, my new band. Eventually, that'll all split off in its own ways. But for now, it's just nice having it in one format. So you could do that through EzraLip.com. You could go to my Facebook page, Ezra Lip Music. You could like the page and subscribe that way. All your support and staying in touch really help with the whole thing, and I appreciate it. But enough about me. I'm so excited for my guest today, and I'll tell you why. We have a pretty extensive history um, as Calmia Traver of uh, the wonderful band Rubble Bucket, as well as um, her brand new project, Cowbells Solo Project. Uh, we first met back in 2002 as uh, as students at the University of Vermont in Burlington as music students. I was a sophomore, and Cal, along with her, her longtime um, partner and collaborator in Rubble Bucket, Alex Toth, were freshmen. And we uh, met uh, the first week of school at the uh, Latin jazz band. And we were in the Latin jazz band ensemble together and ha- had a blast um, over our, our tenure at, at UVM. And Cal and Alex ended up um, backing me up on my senior recital. And we um, collaborated um, a good amount in those years. And since then, I have just kind of um, been amazed to watch the two of them really uh, grow and develop their careers exponentially. After graduating college, Alex and Cal joined the reggae band John Brown's Body, uh, but then and, and we're on tour with them for a little while and moved to Boston. But then shortly after that, they moved to Brooklyn and founded this their band Rubble Bucket. And in the last nine or 10 years, it has really, they have done some incredible things in a very short time. They've released uh, a total of 10 LPs and EPs um, collectively. They've had accolades from from many, uh, many <laughs> ver- uh, reputable sources. And, you know, Spin Magazine said they were 
the must hear at the CMJ Music Festival in 2009. They've been featured on the Jimmy Kimmel Show. They've been on NPR's Tiny Desk. One of their uh, singles came out of a lady, was in the feature film Drinking Buddies. They've collaborated with Questlove, with Meryl Garbus of Tune Yards, Angelique Kidjo, Arcade Fire. Their last record, Survival Sounds, was produced by the um, legendary producer John Coggleton, who's Grammy Award winning, worked with everyone from uh, this I thought was really interesting, Buddy Miles to Marilyn Manson to R. Kelly to Brian Wilson to The Roots to Seeger Rose to Modest Mouse, Blondie, Erica Badu, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and they've done extensive tours across the country and Europe. They've They've just been kind of killing it for a while. And they started out what I would describe as a psychedelic Afrobeat band, but very quickly after that have evolved into a um, electro indie dance band that puts on a really fantastic show. And, and there's lots of uh, their, their production value is pretty incredible and they're pretty amazing performers. So I would definitely check out Rebel Bucket if you are unfamiliar with them. And then Cal's new project, Cowbells, she just put out a record uh, this last week in July of 2017. Uh, she's already been featured on NPR's First Listen, as well as uh, her music audio, uh, I'm sorry, music video for one of her tunes, Body Writers, on NPR's First Watch. And it seems like the record is just going to gather steam really quickly. And I think this project is going to be big. So, anyway. Uh, Watch out for Calmia because she is a force to be reckoned with. And as I mentioned earlier, I'm really excited for this, this, uh, to share this conversation with you because it was really enjoyable to not only connect with, with my old friend who obviously we've stayed in touch over the years, but you know, I can't remember the last time we got to sit down for an hour plus and, and, uh, and have a great conversation. But then also we really, uh, we get into some pretty deep stuff in this episode. I, I will say that we, we, definitely talk about music, but we talk a lot about um, life and uh, energy and um, how to raise one's vibration. You know, we get a little, we get a little mystical. We get, we get uh, a little, a little dark and, or I shouldn't say dark, but you know, we, we embrace some of the darkness in the world. I should also mention pretty extraordinary thing about Calmia is that in 2013, she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer and had a pretty, um, pretty pretty extensive battle with that but is now 100% cancer free and has come out the other side and has very thankfully lived to um, talk about that experience and also move past that in in ways that are are pretty inspiring and and she's really inspiring to me I think you'll find um, what we talk about very interesting and inspiring so so definitely definitely tune in and uh you know as we we move on in the conversation it just gets it just keeps going and um gets deeper and deeper so it, it was it was really a pleasure and an honor and uh yeah that's all the that's all the ado for today but anyway without without further that thing i just said my favorite word ado please welcome cal mia traver Whoa, how excited am I going to get? <laughs> All right. Okay. Rolling. How, how did the release show go? The release show was 
just it was incredibly special. It was at New Blue, the classic. New Blue, New Blue Classic is the name of the venue, and it was it was really really special and fun and amazing. I feel really good. I feel I mean I feel like incredibly good. I like don't think that I had any idea how this would feel. Like I wasn't expecting it to be a different feeling. I mean, I knew in my mind leading up to the release, I was like, yeah, it's, I was just kind of looking forward to it and thinking that when it's over, it I'll feel relieved, but I just had no idea how relieved I would feel. How, how did fun. how did this whole how did this whole thing come together? Uh Calbells um I should say is your is your new project that we're talking about the release yeah. of. Um, yeah. So yeah, but this is kind of your first solo endeavor, as far as I'm aware of, uh, at least at, at least at this in this at this level. So, yeah, to, to describe how how it all came to be. Yeah. Um, well, it's I didn't really when I wrote the music, I didn't have like plans to release it or have it be a solo project at all. Um, I actually was. I was so we were on the tail end of of. I'm trying to remember exactly what time it was. It was basically like the 2014, it was the end of the year. We had just done a massive tour for Survival Sounds. That was Rebel Bucket's most recent full length. And we, you know, we were on a label. We had all the support of like a really, the producing the album was like such a huge experience to work with John Congleton and a lot of excitement. And then also like a little bit of, it was kind of that tour, that fall tour that we did right you know around the release of the album was like a little bit we had booked rooms that were slightly too big i think between the label and the management it was kind of um ambitious and so some of the markets we were used to playing uh smaller rooms we booked bigger rooms and then those rooms ended up not being totally sold out so it was like a weird like we should have been celebrating, but instead we were like all a little bit disappointed, but nothing was actually wrong. <laughs> like people all came out to the shows and it was fun, but if, we if just had, had this kind of- A few hundred people smaller, probably all would have been massive success. Yeah, and totally. And then like what we didn't know is that the next season, like when we would come back around in the spring, it would like our numbers actually did leap up and the whole thing was just like more of a slow burn, but we were, you know- really kind of struggling. I think for Alex and I both, we hit a pretty serious like existential wall with everything. And I remember he was, man, he was really, really down. And uh, I, it was this big struggle for us and to feel happy about it all. And we were um, out in New Jersey living there for a few weeks while our apartment was being subletted. And so we just kind of went in November and had some time away from the city and like were processing and i just i remember him i felt so bad because he was like almost like he was like really really down in the dumps and i was and that was the week where he decided to go off and do a 10-day meditation retreat and and he went and signed up for the vipassana retreat in quebec and um so we came back to the city and then december he went off and did that so i had the whole apartment to myself and i was actually it kind of, I don't know, like, I think it was kind of relieving to have all that space because I, I was pretty excited in general about life and I just like really wanted Alex to be happy and I was so thankful that he was going off to really like dive into himself and into a practice and I felt all this 
energy and I hadn't, you know, and I was alive. Like I had just <laughs> survived cancer and, and done all this amazing touring work. And, um, and so I remember one thing, Alex like always expressed to me that he really wanted me to write more. He thought, he thought I was good at writing and that he liked my music. And so he said that he, he was always just encouraging me to write and he had actually made a Dropbox folder called Cowbells and he was like, put all your music in this Dropbox. <laughs> and that was just like, you know, he, he was, that was his little way of like nudging me to write. Right. And, um, and so I felt super inspired by him going off to write and uh, to do the retreat. And also he had been working on Song of Days um, for a bunch of months right before we recorded survival sounds and actually a lot of the the songs that are on survival sounds came from that process and it was a um ben lovett the guy who is he's in mumford and sons and he owns communion records and he uh kind of introduced alex to this idea in the structure that he that works for him which is he does two verses in a chorus every day just as like a little daily practice and really doesn't worry about you know, he doesn't really edit himself. It's just more about kind of like throwing paint on the canvas and uh, not, it doesn't have to be perfect or good or produced or anything. It's just like making these little mini song structures. And that really worked for Alex and it really, really inspired him. And so I had never tried it and I thought this would be a perfect time to give it a go. So I, every day for the, those 10 days, I just, I kind of did like, I locked myself in the house and I didn't call any friends and I kind of just um, was super under the radar and did a little mini retreat and um, those songs just one after the other they flowed out like it, it was totally song a day um, and it was really fun and every night I would always email Alex the new song even though he wasn't there and I felt like he would be really excited when he came out of the retreat to have 10 new Cal songs. <laughs> and and, and for just those songs for those 10 days was are are those the songs on the record like did the song a day actually work to to as as in writing a whole record yeah there's a lot of really magical things about this record and like kind of just like organic fluid emerging and that's one of them it and it's pretty crazy because actually after that i went home for christmas break and i continued the process because the thing is that not only was I like happy with the results and I still didn't have any plans for them but it was an incredibly full body like high to be in that writing zone like I had never done that before I, I love writing but I always kind of struggled with process and just kind of like m making myself do it I know maybe some people call it writer's block or whatever but I think it was just also a developmental thing for me to as a writer to figure out how to motivate myself. And this was like, I was doing that and it was so, it's like, it's it's the natural high. I don't even know how else to describe it. It's so physically and spiritually uh, enlightening. It, um, and so I was really loving that feeling and I kept it going um, when I went up to Vermont and I kind of like camped out in my old room where I grew, like my room that I lived in all throughout my childhood and set up my little mini studio on there and kept writing songs. Like I think, yeah, just to answer your question, if those 10 songs were the final ones, it almost is actually. It's I went on to write t 27 total in that whole, it was about a two month period of pretty like serious isolation and um, just with Christmas in between. 
and uh and but the 10 that i chose for this album 10 flowers are yeah they're the first 10 of it like almost but the, so the but the thing about the record um is is there's all these tracks um that have i mean there's i i haven't heard the whole thing yet i've heard i've heard a, a, a handful of tracks that you, that you had released um and there's so much like i all of them i feel like i i had to listen to multiple times to be able to get 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 an idea in my brain of what was actually happening because there's there's to me it's like there's so many layers there's there's polyrhythms happening in in electronic uh percussion sounds there's there's layered vocals there's synthesizers and i, I mean to, to me i feel like a, a song like that almost would need to be kind of it, it, like the the production is kind of written into into the song in a sense yeah like yeah, it's hard definitely. to it's hard for me to imagine that what the song sounds like without all the production but y you had just referenced that you had kind of just one of the demos was essentially the track that was released so yeah. am i at all correct in my assessment yeah <laughs> no that's a t that's a good point and it kind of is a direct conflict with the the whole song a day idea and maybe that's <laughs> it's funny because you're totally right and it's also become super evident now that i'm trying to play it live that it's uh, really it's really hard to <laughs> recreate a lot of these things they're so in these like crazy rich kind of tapestries of of ideas layered on ideas layered on ideas um and yeah i i I think because also at the same time, I as I was writing this stuff, I was also really flexing my production chops in a way that I had never valued before in myself. I think, I mean, I it felt really far away from me to be a producer and make recordings that would be the final thing. And um, but that's a that's something that Alex and I had both been working on together, and that's like we we have kind of had over the years been slowly leveling up our demoing tools and I got an Apogee duet and then we got this Telefunken um, sponsorship so we suddenly had some really nice mics to work with and um, and I was using GarageBand but then I got Logic so it all <laughs> it all started to become more and more like hey I can actually make a legit recording just in my bedroom and yeah. And it's so much more expressive, I find. I I mean, there's just such a magic to writing and recording at the same time. Like, you really can capture these really kind of exuberant moments of discovery. Um, so what was that? What was, how's the process been trying to play this material with a band? Ah, yeah, great question. It's been... It's been a such a journey. I, it's a whole new journey because I felt like making like right making the record was a, incredible. Just like you know, I came out of it completely, totally altered forever, not the same person. And I, part of me kind of like misses that because it was. Uh, I'm kind of a natural introvert. Well, I did the Myers-Briggs test and it said that I'm 50-50, but I really, <laughs> I really do love my alone time and, and um, just kind of cutting myself off the grid and being existing inside of 
art and creation. And uh, so it's, I think that trying to do it live and, and transform these little songs into like a experience that would be meaningful and memorable to people that are in the room. Uh, yeah, I, it's been such a challenge. And it's almost funny to say that since I've done it so much with Rubble Bucket, uh, but it was never so, like, the ego is never so wound up in it. And I, I think just somehow working with Alex, you know, we were just like 50-50 collaborators on that in terms of being band leaders. And I we kind of like t uh, took up the slack for each other in certain areas. And that, that was one area I never really felt like my ego had to be too absorbed in Rubble Bucket because it was just, it was always just fun. The performances were so exuberant and and the crowds were so primed and it never felt like a job and it's still even even more now than ever going back and playing for rubble bucket fans is like it's just really really fun and it's a machine that's been operating now for a while so it's not it's the effort is uh it's it's not so hard anymore <laughs> mm -hmm. as it used to be so anyway yeah getting cowbells up and off the ground has been fun and i've i think i I had a few uh, kind of visions from the get-go about what type of band I wanted to work with. And I had been um, involved with this music series in Brooklyn the past couple of years called The Hum, um, which is uh, it's like a kind of all-female um, new music collaboration series, and they've been doing them biannually. And... Um, it's been a real revelation for a lot of the musicians involved, um, and especially for me, I because I came to New York with that um, kind of secret desire to work with more women, um, at women musicians, and because I, I remember living in Burlington, there were so few of us, and I, you know, all almost all the time it was just me and a bunch of dudes, and I'm. It was really fun, and I learned a lot and had a great time, but it was. And it was actually a huge education just in terms of, I think, for me to understand gender, um, to really, like, be deep in the world of, of boys and boy talk and all of the crazy energy that goes with that. And I'm actually really thankful for it. <laughs> and I think it really has helped me expand my own sense of my own gender and feel comfortable, like... Uh, feel less oriented towards I'm just a girl you know uh like I definitely feel like I I can be I can be whatever it's more fluid like I can hang with the boys or the girls or whatever it, it's it's more human based at the mm -hmm. heart of it <laughs> has your experience playing music with more women also uh verified that feeling or encouraged that feeling yeah, absolutely. It's it's so oh my gosh, it's been so fun. So yeah, anyway, I, I decided to do the the first time I really pulled a band together, I just decided to to try doing it with all women. And I also picked people who I knew beforehand, like I either really enjoyed spending time with or like was curious about getting to know better and spending more time with them because I my experience of um doing music is you're just it's like you're spending so much time with these people so it's it's important to like them <laughs> okay so all all female band yeah is that is yeah. that a pretty different experience 
it it is and it's hard for me you know it's it's like it's a really kind of interesting thing to talk about because i think for me like growing up um as a girl in a girl's body and like um kind of i think i I had in vermont which is such a beautiful open progressive place and i had parents who were just like so pro whatever i wanted to do and didn't limit me at all so i feel like in some ways i was given the best odds ever to succeed in my gender whatever it is but i totally you know was aware of these of this sort of gender gap and this like prejudice towards women and it was ingrained in me and I didn't even realize it and I'm still probably uncovering a lot about it um and I think more than anything for me to do music with all women identified people has been a process of uncovering that together and having a safe place to talk about it and um kind of like form reform and work work on it all like together and uh i i i'm really really thankful for this time because it's helping me figure out what's what i think because i love i have so many men in my life that i just love to pieces and it's it's not really about excluding as much as kind of creating and in constructing um a, a stronger like definition of what i am as a beast or like as a as a as an alive thing um what do you mean when you say helping you figure out what's what i think that um i mean that we are all coming in like really wanting to be seen as musicians first and foremost and wanting to to be treated that way and uh have it feel like an equal playing field and um or if anything have our femininity be celebrated rather than seen as a weakness and i think we've all experienced the latter a lot um Mm -hmm. and so but then then it's like in this space where they're free of like the the kind of masculine influence or whatever that the alpha thing all of a sudden we really get to to test each other on that and feel the give and take and and um be in a place where we know that not only do we want to be seen that way but like we it's our job to see each other that way and and also we're super uh, accepting of any communication that needs to happen regarding that and and um so it's like it's if that makes sense i think it's kind of a chance to air out a lot um of our own myths that we have built up in our heads <laughs> about our own limitations. And, and have you, you, have you, you've been communicating amongst everyone about those topics in the course of making music together? Yeah, it's funny because it's super, uh, it's a very free flow. Like it's, it's, it just kind of pops in and out of conversation and it, in a really loose and mostly all the time it's like like really fun and hilarious and we pretty much like <laughs> uh i think that our all of our kind of behaviors and personalities resonate with each other so much that to like a degree that just we're laughing a lot <laughs> like i think if a crystal fell out of my bra in a room full of dudes i would have a very different reaction than, than if i was with 
everyone else who also happened to have crystals in their bras and like it's all good it's <laughs> i don't know <laughs> is, wow is is that a thing i that's <laughs> awesome but i just had no idea that happened but now thinking yeah. about it i'm like it makes sense but yeah it totally happens <laughs> i mean <laughs> I, I i don't know if it always happens but it does it has it did why don't if if you don't mind um for for listeners that might not have been uh familiar with you be, prior to this um hearing this this podcast um do you want to just delve into a little bit of your backstory and just um kind of trace some of your path as a musician that's kind of led you to who and where you are today yes i would love to that's a fun task um <laughs> uh well i grew up in vermont with my with music all around me in my house and my parents are both musicians and artists in different ways and uh we used to sing around the dinner table every single night we sang grace and it was kind of like a secular household with a lot of spirituality interwoven into and into daily life and like a lot of focus on traditions and making our own traditions and that kind of thing and we were spending a lot of time in nature too and my parents are also both kind of naturalists or in different ways um and then i did and lovely whole, people i should add yeah they're they're my best friends i love them tim and delia and molly and tobin my brother and sister we it was a it was a very idyllic really awesome childhood lots of running around naked and uh running around and building forts and having really a lot of encouragement towards all of our own creativities and that kept going all the way up until now uh especially not so much the running around naked but that happens from time to time <laughs> uh and so yeah then i did the um middle school like picked up the sax and then I did that in high school too and did marching band and started writing a little bit of music when I was in high school and learning guitar. And I went to France for a year after that and wrote a bunch of poetry. And um, then in college, I just like dove straight in. I went to UVM and um, didn't have a major, but really like music just became pretty undeniable after a year or two. The, all the best fun times were happening in the music building including the day that i met you and we were we were in latin jazz ensemble and we were so into the song that we played we played like the last notes of whatever song we were playing and like shit started falling off the walls <laughs> <laughs> i will never forget that that was also the first day i met alex that was yep. like the first day of school of my freshman year <laughs> uh yeah, and good, and Vermont. Good times. <laughs> yeah, really good times. I, I've always found that Burlington, Vermont, and Vermont in general is really has a really special kind of like fecundity for music and art. Uh, and it was it was just really fun to be a kind of like freelance musician there. It was very welcoming. So describe some of that early times because obviously you were playing. We were both in the in the jazz program studying, and then how did how did that shift for you to kind of become more of a, a freelancer outside of 
being a student, did, was that a pretty natural progression? Or maybe you can talk about your earliest experiences with that. Yeah, that's a great question. I was I was like almost about to skip over that, and then I w- but in my mind, I was like, but I really want to talk more about that. So I'm glad you asked. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to. Yeah, so we did. We did like. We just, yeah, I think I was just in combos like for school for a couple years. Um, I'm trying to remember. And then we had the Salvation Army. That was like our band. Of- Which was like a <laughs> 12 piece funk soul band. Yeah. Cover band. Uh, uh, and then there was, Mike- well, you had your, the, the Lazy Birds, right? That was, that was your thing. Yeah. That, those two, I mean, I think. As early as Salvation Army, I'm, I can't. I think that was sophomore year that I really got into that, and we would rehearse and like we would have gigs. Like we played at Club Club Metronome, and we just played like kind of around Vermont every once in a while. And then maybe junior year is when, well, Alex and I really started. We really linked up as partners. Um, junior year, and then Lazy Birds came from that, and it was like our original jazz compositions. I think that was around the time kind of becoming partners with Alex in love and music. Um, And really kind of like, I think through each other, like we kind of started to see like a lot of openings and encourage each other to push each other further in the direction of music. And, you know, we would like tell each other to, we would like give each other writing assignments and and, and re- practicing assignments. I remember the summer before my junior year, I was at some party at the end of the of the of the school year, and Alex came over um, to me with like a little piece of paper folded up, and he was like, "Hey, these are these are all the I can't remember what he, these are a bunch of like practicing exercises, and it was like play all the major and minor scales in all twelve keys and get them up to like." whatever, 120 BPM. And then he had all these other little exercises and he's like, I want you to do these this summer. <laughs> <laughs> and I did them and, I, and I, I think that, yeah, we both encourage each other in different ways. And then we started the band together and, and then that was like really the beginning of this progression that I can, is a c- continuous stream all the way up until now of just really being our own creative producers. And like we would make, flyers for each show and um make all of our own album art and i bootlegged photoshop and learned how to use it in three days when i made the lazy birds album art and uh so that yeah i can i really feel like that was the turning point probably when we when our first lazy birds album came out and i remember i got a i got a myspace account and a Mm. facebook account and a cell phone (laughs) and 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 that at the time like I mean, I remember maybe maybe you felt similar, but I know for me, when I first decided to make like a MySpace music page for for my own name, it was it was kind of like a big deal. Like it it was almost like a, a rite of passage. Like I'm, yeah. you know, because I, I was pretty young. I was you know, uh, it was maybe a little bit after that that time, but and, and I it, but it it felt like I was like proclaiming myself as an artist and I, I even remember getting like an email or a message from Alex um, Alex Toth who we've been talking about your your um, co-collaborator in Rebel Bucket um, 
and and it was just like this you know really encouraging email like oh really glad to see you're you're finally doing this man and you know yeah and i, I don't awesome. know if it was a, if it was like a similar um mark of ambition for you yeah oh man that's really cool because i actually it's funny like independently i remember that time too i was like yes ezra's going out there and just getting gigs and being ah oh, it's so cool it was i was so happy to see that i think it is oh thank you it's it's a big step i it's scary um to kind of like make that commitment uh to your own voice <laughs> and uh yeah to to seeing it flourish and intermingle with other voices and kind of build the world that that exists or that will exist um uh, yeah yeah absolutely if i could share one sto one more story about that time just while we're there that i that's still stuck with me and um just like a cool musical lesson i learned um on stage with you 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 asked me to do this uh lazy birds gig at nectar's one time i don't know yeah. if you remember we were on the gig we were playing a jazz tune yeah and, and we were kind of just kind of swinging and some, something about it like i think i all of a sudden noticed that i was a little bored or or just like you know there it was like in the middle of somebody's solo and and all, i could just feel like the band get like a little low energy droopy just um yeah. you know like the it just like nothing nothing was going wrong it just like wasn't like the most happening thing and i just yeah. remember having that feeling and then being like you know what i'm just going to try to see if i could just 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 kind of lift the energy up a little and and i don't even think i really did i, I was just kind of hanging on a on a mid-tempo jazz ride group yeah and and i don't think i even like really changed too much with my playing or anything but i think just like i made this energetic intention to like i'm just gonna like be like a little more engaged a little more present yeah. try to try to make it happen and i and i just just put that out there and i remember is right right as i did that and, and made that shift and and it, and it wasn't really like something that you would maybe notice musical but i remember you immediately like looked back at me and like started like snapping your fingers and nodding your head and we're like yeah 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 like that <laughs> and and then i think That's in so turn funny. like the whole band kind of like lifted up the energy and and it was it was a really it stuck with me as like you know a really cool way if like to to as individual musicians how we can really um collectively uh, affect an ensemble um individually affect the collective through through our energy and our intention and, and i i never forgot that lesson so that's so cool oh my gosh wow what a story that it, oh man ezra that's a really interesting because i feel like i've been oh i've been working with that kind of energy like on a more um like what's the word like it's just a uh, surface level in in my life a lot and more like more in the past few years than i ever was aware of it before and i know exactly what you're talking about with when there's a lull and you're like oh you know people aren't really present right now everyone's just going through the motions or you can feel it or feel it i can feel it in my own self i'm like oh i'm bored why why what's you know um uh it goes into such kind of like a deeper conversation i think for me about just mindfulness and being present in all the ways that practicing it mindfulness can elevate life and make it more um 
interesting and enjoyable. What, what, what do you mean? You said you've been working in that on a surface level. What, can you elaborate? I'm, I, I don't quite follow. I conscious level. That's what I meant okay, to say. Okay, like surface of my, my brain. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I like that's cool to hear that you were doing that back, back then. And maybe I was doing it more subconsciously, but I feel like lately maybe just the past few years i really think it was it was the post cancer because that cancer thing really shocked me and like riveted in my whole life and it really like gave me a like a a deep sense of i i want to i don't want to miss anything of my life like i just want to be here for everything now and as soon as i did that i was like finding things to be skills that were much challenging before much more challenging to be super natural and come easily like for example i went to france pretty soon after that and i was like i lived in france for a year so my french is pretty good but i was like it had been like seven or eight years and i hadn't had any in-depth french conversations and i was just tearing it up i was Mm. like getting in arguments winning arguments like talking about history and politics and i was just like what is happening right now i had i was really blowing my own mind and then it came it happened on um at rubble bucket shows too where i just you know that there's this kind of full full body full experience choreography that goes on during a show where like i have to be um singing this part right there and then like two bars later I have to have the horn to my lips and then it has to be down because then a minute later I have to do this dance move and it's it's like you know it's a it's um it's hard work yeah yeah (laughs) but I was finding that after that new level of just like investing in my own life and wanting to be there for everything all of a sudden like I just things were just so much more like easier and I, I don't know. It was almost like I was one meta level outwards where I could just see myself doing the things and, and be breathing into each moment and like doing that. And right around that time or like pretty soon after, after I'd had a bunch of shows where this new ease was just around me, I started to really start, I started to apply it to interacting with the crowd and kind of existing in a vision of what I wanted the room to feel like. Mm. And you know, it's always, you always get varying energies and sometimes energy is really low or people are just checked out or maybe they're really drunk or something bad in the news just happened. And it's like, if we want this to be a success and for our desired outcome, which is like levity and entertainment and joy and whatever, all the things that Rubble Bucket goes out there to do, uh, there's so much agency that I actually have in any given moment to to affect the mood and i think i started to see it way more concretely and it was little little things like that that you described like just i'm gonna just throw some intention right now like it it wouldn't even be like i wouldn't even really change anything about my actual behavior but i would say say i'm doing like a dance move and i'm stepping left to right and then i'm looking at i'm like gosh darn it no one's doing the dance move (laughs) Mm. i'm sad but instead of being mad at the crowd for not doing it, I would just say, well, I'm going to just kind of do this dance move like with them. Or I don't know if that makes sense, but I would just kind of look straight out into their eyes and be like um, feeling like 
almost listening to them and watching them more than more than trying to be a show them anything just like oh what what makes them move left what makes them move right like if i if i like it's kind of like going fishing or something like feeling out where where are the good fish like <laughs> i don't know if that's making sense uh and i did that with it's just so many ways just like i all throughout the set uh, injecting an intention of of a certain type or flavor of energy into into my performance and then like kind of observing the direct results in a crowd or on stage yeah and so so what you're saying is you you could be effective at essentially directing this energy in a certain way yeah you you, you learn yeah yeah it it sounds kind of like um <laughs> it sounds like almost like I could you I could think of the language of like you figured out how to raise your entire vibrational level um yeah and 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 <laughs> and kind of like tap into a tap into the the collective vibration and 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 both be a part of that as well as be able to play with that in 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 a more in more vivid ways and perhaps perhaps that sounds a little uh you know <laughs> what you may call it to some people but but i i believe based on personal experience um that that sort of stuff is is possible um does does that language resonate with you at all yeah definitely i mean it's it's just so cool to hear you describing that uh, like at such a young age and I totally I mean that's yeah I think that's a really good word for it I kind of like I, I think I've something I've kind of been seeing also just through like studying Buddhism and meditation and well Eastern thought I guess more is like um, the like the fundamental acknowledgement of unity before everything else before all the before exploring all the di beautiful different flavors and the differentiation between the species and the and the cultures and the uh, uh, whatever you know the organs of our body um seeing everything as a whole first and then um from there you can make these really interesting correlations and i've just been thinking lately like in shapes <laughs> like like what's that shape because shapes are so repetitive like in that koyana scotsy movie when you see they show the clouds in like stop time motion going really fast and then they show the waves and it's the exact same shape and um i think yeah i've just been enjoying like kind of perceiving life on um uh in in like slightly bigger shapes than i used to or not all the time you know you can flip in and out of it but like um, if I'm walking down the street and I, there's somebody and I, it's like, if I smile at them or if I don't, uh, what's, <laughs> how am I going to finish this sentence? It, it's like, which shape I can like, there's like a several different shapes I can lean into and I know I can't really like control anyone else, but I can definitely control what shape I'm making and then watch, watch the response and it's on it's it's delightful usually or scary there's some scary shapes out there right now too <laughs> yeah 
Um, how do you deal with the scary shapes? Um, I've been, I, I, this, the past few months I've been, you know, it's such a freaking monumental, insane time and, uh, on the outer world. And for me in my inner world, I've just been like putting every scrap of my, <laughs> of my energy and awareness into putting out this album and getting it released. And I, I have kind of been not looking too far past that. And I feel like in some ways, uh, who I, who I am as, a just as a young woman making creative music, that's, that's like not, that's not, um, the norm or something like, that's a pretty awesome shape to have exist in the world. And I'm feeling like, um, just by kind of buying into myself in that way uh, to, and trusting my own instincts, that's, that's a form of resistance. And, and I think that it can also serve as an example um, for other people who are living in a lot of self-doubt or a lot of, of really serious debilitizing grief, sorry, debilitating grief. Um, uh, and I think that resistance in all forms is so important. And I am really excited now that this phase is out to kind of step into some more outer forms. And I'm not sure what that's exactly going to look like, but I do know that I have the opportunity to attend more protests and show up with my white body on the front lines of, of rallies supporting Black Lives Matter and supporting um, or just standing in defiance of the police brutality. And I, I really want to get more involved with that. And I, New York has a lot of opportunities to do that. Um, and I'm, I'm excited to learn more about it too. And figure, I've never been super prone to that type of activism. I've done a little bit here and there, but I think that I'm in a, a special position because I have somewhat of like a public profile here and there. And I, that's what I would like to see. And I, you know, at a certain point, I can't just hope to see it. I have to, I have to be it <laughs> and know that people are going to see me and then we can all go out and make a big change. I hope working oh, on it. Yeah. I hope so too. Thank you for, <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a beautiful, um, vision and intention. Yeah. I, I think I got really so jaded, you know, this is like a whole separate wing, but anyway, I, I got a little quite jaded by the, just by social networking from, um, in terms of for, on this politics scene, just from the whole election and how I did, you know, living in that bubble. And I'm really excited. I think the, I think like the biggest shape for my activism, no matter what is just to be, um, defying that bubble as much as I can and living in the real world. And it, it's not like I, I have to not like live in internet too. That's fine. And I will keep doing that. But I just think this is a little lesson we're all in right now is like figuring out that balance and making the most of both. Wait, you're, you're, you're referring to like internet activism or what, what do you mean living? Yeah. In yeah. I think like when I was on, uh, spending a lot of time on social media during the election and I and I don't know if 
the ways that I was contributing to those forums did anything <laughs> or like, you know, I, I was pretty disappointed by the outcome and I, um, and I just think I'm realizing that I was relying too heavily on that. And I'm, so I guess I'm just in search of other modes of communication and like ways we can bridge the gap of, of this like crazy polarization that is happening in our society. I'm with you. Um, yeah, it's, it's a big, it's a big thing. Um, I, to me, I, I feel like I know that, that it, 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 it will involve, um, along with making our voices louder, also some, some deep listening. And mm, I think yes. for me, that's, that's the part that is maybe a little more elusive, um, how to, how to start to engage in that way with with uh with people yeah <laughs> yeah but i think I, th I think we're all we're all learning it together so yeah thankfully yeah let's I, i'd like to um delve a little bit back into um that the the narrative we were on with with your career and something that um i read about um, in an interview you had you had given um, uh, and stop me if I if I'm skipping anything but so college studying music to freelancer around Burlington and I think shortly after you graduated you moved along with Alex to Brooklyn and joined the band uh, John Brown's Body yeah so, so, okay and then we, I mean actually we technically moved to Boston and to oh, join right. JBB yeah, yeah for okay. that was like about three years there and then we moved to Brooklyn. Yeah. Okay. So, um, what I'm curious about is something you said in the interview was that that was a, uh, an immense education in, um, in every, you know, in, in, in both like <laughs> rock and roll history, which maybe wasn't your, your native tongue before that, as well as just like learning, um, lessons on the road that you, could didn't it all get from from your music education in college and uh i'm wondering if you have any uh could elaborate on that or say some things that you might have learned during that period that that were important yeah i have a really visceral just memory of like being in the van for really long periods of time for months you know months and months like these tours um and that was so new for me and like now it's very very not new <laughs> And uh, but that was my first time ever really being on the road, and there's such an art to touring. I think um, yeah, that that's just one, and that that's still the art of touring and being a savvy traveler and like loading in and out of it. It's it's a steep learning curve, and I think anyone doing it for the first time, it's a big struggle um, to get it right and to just you know living together in a really tight knit group and everyone being respectful of everyone else's space and uh being neat and tidy and not losing not forgetting stuff in every city and th there's all these like really common mistakes that happen for everyone i i think right at the at up front and then that is just a tiny sliver of like how to make a career in music and i think that's the that's one of the parts that i'm really getting filled out for me now um in the wake of well like you know uh, alex and i broke up and about a year and a half ago and we had been such a tight unit for more than a decade 
And um, then we also, at the same time, both split off and started doing our own solo music projects. And I think along with that, for me came like this just really quick learning on like going way back to basics on wait a minute how <laughs> how do i how do i have a band again like how do i be a band leader how do i settle with clubs what um what <laughs> like who can take my photo shoot who <laughs> how do i you know i think i had fallen into some really patterns of uh of roles with alex and my other bandmates and that shielded me from a lot um of the strategy around making a true career out of music and so i feel which which which, as you're saying involves a lot more than just writing songs and performing yeah exactly yeah i mean and and the touring is one element and and then like building a team and having people who can set up your tours and booking agents and managers and lawyers and labels and and then interacting with those all those people in a positive way and keeping your your voice clear through all of that and never never compromised and then uh like making sure that financial opportunities are always bubbling up and there there's so much that we can do to control to kind of guide that or welcome that i think for me, part of it is just oh, just being on the scene and and being per, trying to my best to look seem available and seem game and uh, be be good at my craft so that people want to hire me. Um, and then having like now that there's social media, just having that seem like a thing that's alive, <laughs> and so that people can find you easily and. Um, always being diligent about responding to people. I don't know. These are things that I'm like, oh, I'm not really always good at this anyway. But uh, just being being like, you know, they say 80% of it is just showing up. And that is so true, I find. I think that there's a genuine kind of need for what we do. And we have to, oh, here's the other whole side of it. We ha- We have to keep ourselves healthy and enjoying life so that we can can perceive the need you know because it's there it squarely is there and then we just have to um not get too down on ourselves to and be fooled to think that it isn't there common sense things that aren't always common practice yeah i know i remember um alex stewart the head of the uvm jazz department our old friend like we used to do fun gigs out on the t- town with UVM groups, like with the big band or something. And I remember we were doing one. I think we flew down to Washington, D.C. to play at some like presidential, like like the UVM president was like, it was some fundraiser. And yeah. he, we were at the end of the night, there was the all the catering, all the leftovers were in the back room and we were like stuffing ourselves. And he's like, all right, who brought Tupperware? And none of us had brought Tupperware. And he's like, what? That's the... F- <laughs> That's the first rule of being a musician. Always bring Tupperware. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've I've definitely been there where I've I've wanted Tupperware <laughs> and I've been there where I brought it too. Yep. Oh yes, Ezra. Good job. Yeah, yeah. I I, I, I am curious because you did have and, and I know we, we touched on it briefly already, but um 
you you were diagnosed with ovarian cancer um, in 2013. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, and and I I know that was such a massive massive shift in shift in your life and it's i i hesitate to even to even ask it because it's it's such a such a big open-ended question but yeah i'm wondering if if you could describe or elaborate a little more on on how that process was for you how to how it affected your life and and your music and who you are now yeah in any way that might be coherent yeah um well, I think, and and that, I should just say that you're cancer free now, and I'm yeah. so happy about that. And yeah, congratulations. I do. It's, yeah, it's I'm so I'm so grateful. Like I'm just I feel I'm really I it was it was a scary hard time, but also like I got it I got it early, and you know it was it responded well to the treatments, and so I'm just like to feel so lucky because I know it doesn't go that way with a lot of people and there's some really inspiring friends of mine and family friends and just people in the world who are putting up some way bigger fights than I had to and and it's it's just really brave <laughs> and uh yeah it takes a lot of cojones to stand up to that but I think for me personally a lot of what what that looked like was kind of like what I just um, said in the previous question was like basically having uh, supporting myself kind of like giving myself the love that I always needed um, to in every way like in in un, 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 also like very uncompromisingly like I think um, up until that point I had always been able to find an excuse of what I was doing wrong or or uh, something to to tear myself down and it was almost like I think that everyone I I don't know but I I also kind of think that that could be just a developmental thing for humans like we come out of this adolescent period where we're really hyper aware of image and like um pecking order and wanting to succeed and it's this kind of built-in thing and I um yeah I think that I was just kind of suffering that just in a pretty normal way, but like the the one of the main antidotes to the what went along with the cancer inside me was like a a pretty big just ball of self hatred <laughs> and self doubt, and it's I, maybe that sounds surprising to people who've seen us or maybe not because it's like the life on the road is so challenging and it it like it took so much out of me and i think that in some ways i just like gave and gave and gave and i was building up this toxic residue inside mm -hmm. of me and it had to do a lot i think also with kind of ancestral grieving um and just what do you mean fears. by that um i I'm kind of just looking at what washed up after it. Like I've done a bunch of therapy and, a, and like a bunch of different kind of healing modalities after all the chemo just to to just keep on processing and keep on healing. Because that's like pretty common. I've heard from a lot of pe people who've been through cancer that like 
once the once the chemo's over, the radiation and the surgery and all of that, all of a sudden you're just like cut loose to the world and it and like you're just supposed to be better now. And it's so terrifying because you don't know what those cancer cells are doing in you and if they're building back up and in, in like you're in just kind of quote unquote remission. And that's just to, to me, remission is such a scary word because it just kind of implies that it's going to come back. <laughs> right. And um, and so I kind of rejected that word personally. I know everyone has a different approach, but I just decided I had to see myself as as pure and whole no matter what. And the pure mm. and whole part of me was the part that I was going to feed. And if there were unhealthy parts, the pure and whole parts would kind of like devour that. And I was just going to feed whatever was beautifully existing in a in like affirmative positive space and so yeah and so like you know like when they have the new neutron or the hydron collider that thing in switzerland where it's like the 17 mile loop where they they like the particle they like slam particles together and they're looking for the um the higgs boson which is like the god particle they're and they're just basically studying like um tiny 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 particles of matter and by exploding two particles together you and you have like all these tools and devices to study how how they explode and what shapes they make when they explode and what happens like at that exact moment um that's kind of what i feel like has been the past years it's like studying my life after this crazy explosion happened in it and learning as much from it as i can and doing that in a really kind of non-judgmental neutral way and and to the extent that I can do that uh, you know that's the learning process too and that goes back to all the mindfulness and everything but I really do feel like I'm learning and that's one of the big things that I've been learning about is just how we just where we're at right now I think in our culture like in American culture and in Western culture in general is like we've just been through We've just been through so much violence and a couple world wars and a couple genocides and like, you know, no matter what your race, if you have lived, if, if your ancestors have lived on this land, you've been witness to or the victim of the worst possible things that humans can do. And um, like however closely, uh, you however close physically you and your chain of ancestors were to that there's no way that you can escape the ripples of hurt that that are coming from it um and i i think that uh i've just been kind of like in a big big many years lesson of of trying to open my eyes to that and and the more i can open and just acknowledge uh it, it's healing to do that. And and they say that acknowledging is the first step towards treating and healing. And I believe that this is work that we as a society have to do right now and we should have been doing it sooner. Um, but it's the only way that we can like go forward into anything positive that's not just a total, the worst, you know, the saddest, darkest downward spiral. Um, uh, Anyway, <laughs> I, I guess I kind of see that in a way I, I, I've just kind of experienced a bit of a microcosm of like seeing the darkest place in myself and um, 
deciding to see it with like some form of acceptance and not just rejecting it and pushing it further and further away and deeper and darker. Uh, that's, that's like, this is, all right, so now we're just in a therapy session. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think, I mean, I, I, I feel like it's, it, it, if, if you want to call it that, it's just as much of one for me as for you. Like, I, I mean, I feel like your words are very healing and inspiring. So I appreciate Good. everything you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, just to wrap up that thought, just I've been kind of studying my own family and, and what's like what's going on back up the line of ancestors and in uh, uh, the Northeast Kingdom of Vermont. And, you know, there's there's just so much I, I think that I really am starting to understand this kind of inherited grief and just learning learning what my role can be in like how facing that can help me be a better ally to the whole world and what we're doing right now to try to heal ourselves <laughs> what would be what would be the next step after acknowledgement um Well, there's probably a lot of steps. I haven't quite written my manifesto yet, <laughs> the Cal Healing Manifesto. <laughs> but I, you know, obviously, well, continue. I, or like the, the, I'm just like, just realized the 12 steps deal with this kind of directly too. And I haven't done all 12 steps, but I've been privy to them and learn, learned a lot from them. Um, but I think all of all all of the steps kind of are continued you know it never stops it's like once you start acknowledging you can't then you're never like oh great i acknowledged it i acknowledged all of the pain in the world sweet set it and forget it all right now mm -hmm. i'm just gonna go relax i think it's just kind of like for me it's just been kind of forming my whole life around um cultivating ability an ability to keep acknowledging on a daily basis, like as my practice of my life is like to keep being able to every single day keep waking up and opening my eyes uh, to what's what's super sad about my world. And um, okay, so then, yeah, so you sustain that. And then you do, then for me, it's been like the next step, I guess, would probably be giving giving myself like a softness in, in order to stay healthy so that like, I think that if I'm if, if my body is well-nourished and I'm exercising and I'm sleeping enough and I'm like having lots of love and laughter and friendship and connection with, with loved ones. And those are kind of like the basic pillars of like, you know, a lot of, they've been doing all this cancer research um, lately. That's so groundbreaking and you can read all about it online, but um, there's a really good Ted talk, um, sorry, Ted radio hour about it. I think from last year or the year before where they talk about a few of the newest, like most cutting edge technologies. And one guy basically just did like this blind study where he, you know, looked at cancer patients who and and um, gave half, half would just have their normal treatment that the hospital gave them. And then the other half, he also gave them an, an additional regimen of just that, like nourishing yourself, e you know, eating, eating um like only some diet that he specified that was like not even that hard it was just like you know cut out sugar no alcohol and caffeine just having like whole uh simple whole foods nothing processed and then hanging out with your loved ones and then getting exercise like three times a week and it was like the results were just like astoundingly mm. in support of this 
which isn't even it's not medical you don't think of that in medical terms but it for a medical doctor to really uh do some really cold hard research about it it's really exciting to, and the results were very positive so anyway that's the next step for me is to keep my body and mind and spirit in a place that where i can go on basically and then if i can so then when i go on what i what i go forth into is activism and like um creativity in activism like figuring out what i can do and not just have it be what what's already been done but what are new things what are new ways to keep um keep humans honest and awake um and keep encouraging that in myself and in my friends and hopefully it'll ripple outwards and um yeah and then in the the carlos castaneda books I've only read the first one, but I just remember he's like on this quest to become a man of knowledge and he goes to the shaman in South in the Southwest in Arizona. And anyway, he's studying with the shaman and it's a really inspiring uh, little chain of events that he describes. But the basically the shaman is leading him through the steps to ultimately becoming a man of knowledge. And that's like the final goal for for these practice, you know, these practitioners of this this like native religion and he's the final step is after you've done all these things to conquer your different vices and this and that finally he's like all right once you've achieved everything you are a man of knowledge now the final the final thing you must do is to not fall asleep with this like mm -hmm. uh you you just have to stay awake and that's in that i don't know <laughs> that's that's kind of what I be, be present. Not that I, not that I've like made it through all those phases, but I think that that keeping even in meditation and just like in in every kind of practice, like being able to keep waking up every day and be alive in the world, that's a pretty big feat. Right, because and and every day is different. So every day something you're gonna have to do something you can't anticipate. Yeah. So if you're awake with it and present, then therein lies the key. I would I would think. Yeah. At least part of it. Yeah. Well, Cal, I know uh, I want I want you to be um, nourished and well rested. So I know you got to <laughs> go make dinner. Um, thank you so much. It's it's been a pleasure talking to you. Um, I really appreciate it, and I think and I think the listeners of the podcast are, are really going to. Um, there's so, so much wisdom and and um, inspiration that you've offered. So I I really thank you for for your time and your your words. Yeah, Ezra, thank you very much. I'm really honored to have been invited to do this. Thanks a lot. Yeah, anytime. All right, whoop, there it is. How about that? If you stuck it out, thank you so much. I, I think it was probably worth worth sticking it out. I Again, I, I really enjoyed that episode, so I hope you did too. I'm gonna try to wrap this up shortly. Will you do me a favor? Will you write me a message on, uh, email me at the Ezra lip hour at gmail.com and just say, Hey Ezra shows great. If you think it's great. And these are three to five people that I love to see, uh, guests on your show. And if, if a bunch of people can do that, I can kind of get a pulse on some people that you might want me to ask to be on the show. Of course I have my own list. Um, and probably, any of your requests might already be on it, but I'd love to kind of get feedback directly from the listeners. So please do that. 
And while you're doing it, do all that other stuff that I always talk about, like leaving a review and signing up for the mailing list. I'd appreciate it. Anyway, this has been another edition of the Ezra Lip Hour, more or less. Thanks so much. I'm really having a great time and we're just going to keep rolling with this. So anyway, wherever you are, keep being where you are and have a great night or a great day or a great afternoon. I love you. I do. Okay. Thank you.